Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers 25. Numbers 25. Now, something I have to say before we get started in our study is the um, there are going to be times when we have long messages. Um, long messages, maybe several hours. Uh, in those situations, don't feel bad if you have to hit pause and listen the next day. Don't feel bad whatsoever. I think we have to get very acclimated to the idea of having uh, being having these studies with greater frequency. And, you know, as the Spirit leads, there might be times where we have uh, topical messages, especially when we get into uh, prophetic fulfillment. Um, there are going to be times when it, it, we're not going to adhere to the Sunday-Wednesday model. Uh, it might be a, a Monday-Tuesday message or a Thursday-Friday-Saturday message or every day. Uh, be prepared for these things as we progress further in the last days because we're living in very perilous times, very times of sorrow. Uh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, Psalm 122, verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, right now, uh, Israel is under siege, under siege. Uh, you know, I watch a lot of the um, uh, overseas news. Uh, a lot of the news I get is from overseas, and it's not good what's happening. Uh, not a pretty picture of what's happening, but before peace, can, before the Prince of Peace, there's going to be times of trouble, times of, you know, we see Jerusalem, as the Bible says, is a burdensome stone, a cup of drunk, drunkenness, and that's what we see today. That's what we see today. It's prophesied. These things are going to happen. You know, just as we talked about on Sunday, you know, pending, 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 fulfilled, fulfilled, fulfilled. There's going to be every jot, every tittle of the Word of God will be fulfilled, will come to pass. All of it. Some of it's going to be very painful. Some of it is very beautiful. Some of it is very painful. You know, and very perilous times. Times of sorrow. You know, the remnant. How beautiful is it that we have a remnant? An Old Testament example of the remnant. A New Testament example of a remnant. And a remnant according to grace as we study in Romans. A remnant according to grace. But even in the remnant's beauty, there will still be immense, immense sorrow. Do you know why? Because there's going to be a great falling away. People will be given over to strong delusion. It's from the Lord. It's a form of judgment because there is no love of the truth. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. No love of truth and you must protect your heart. Love will wax cold. You, my beloved, must protect your heart because the days are going to get evil. It's going to get so bad that no flesh will be saved, even among the elect. That's what the Lord says, unless those days were shortened. That's how bad it's going to be. This is nothing. What we see today, this is nothing. It's going to get much, 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 much worse. Much worse. And it's going to intensify. And there's going to be a moment of respite. And it's going to be fake. A moment of peace, but it will be fake. It will be fake. When they say peace and safety, boom, sudden destruction. It will be a fake peace. A political leader is going to emerge on the world stage and will usher in peace, but it will be a fake peace. You know? Wild, incredible times. Incredible times that we live in today. And nevertheless, pray for the peace of Jerusalem because the Prince of Peace is coming. Numbers chapter 25, verse 1. Open up your Bible. Now, you also have to have your Bible open because a lot of things I say are pretty contrary to what is taught in seminary. Contrary to what is taught in, in churches. A lot of it dealing with the events of the last days, prophetic fulfillment. When you look at pre-tribulation rapture, I know that rubs people the wrong way. It goes against the grain. And if you're wondering, like, what in the world is he talking about? Listen to the message, uh, when is the rapture? You're going to have to look for it, but, you know, it's there. When is the rapture? You have to have your Bible open. Be a Berean. Have your Bible open. Read because we see the text for ourselves. Store your oil. Store your oil and have your grain. And as a lot of prominent pastors, uh, pastors that I respect greatly, 
They're starting to tell their flocks, their congregations, learn to make your own bread. Learn to make your own bread. These are the days that we're living in. As the church enters judgment, because judgment comes first in the house of God. So here in chapter 25 of the book of Numbers, we see here in verse 1, now Israel remained in Acacia Grove. Now remember, we saw Israel in chapter 22, verse 1, how they're in, Israel is in Moab. And we see this little, uh, uh, the, the previous chapters in, uh, in chapter 23, 24, the little side event, the side inter- interaction that we see with Balaam and Balak. And Balak, the leader of Mo- the Moabites, he wants to destroy Israel. He wants to kill Israel. He wants to defeat them. And in order to defeat them, he wants Balaam to curse them. And you see how the Lord is speaking to Balaam like, hey, these are my people. You curse them, you're going to be cursed. Don't, do not curse them. They're blessed. You bless them, you're going to be blessed. And, you know, you, what we also see is, you know, how Balaam has this short-term relationship, short-term intimacy with the Lord. His choice wasn't long-term. Remember, there's provisions in the law for Gentiles to be grafted into Israel. There's provisions in the law for that. But what happened with Balaam? All of a sudden, he goes back home, back to his hometown. That's where we ended last week in chapter 24, verse 25. Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. He goes back home. Instead of being grafted into Israel, he says, okay, thanks, but no thanks, and goes back home. Back on his merry way. And it's not so merry. It doesn't turn out so well for Balaam. And don't forget, in chapter 31, verse 16, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident in Peor of Peor. And there was a, a, a plague among the congregation of the Lord through the counsel of Balaam. Balaam is not without excuse. He might be on his merry way going back home, but he's responsible. The Lord holds him responsible. Very interesting because a lot of times I think, you know, we like to uh, wash our hands of certain events, so to speak. We figure, okay, I'm, I'm removed from the equation, so I'm good to go. No big deal. Remember David, his sexual sin, David's sexual sin, and then he murdered. And then, you know, uh, the prophet Nathan comes to him, explains a scenario, and David says, oh, I would kill that guy. And Nathan, the prophet of the Lord, says, David, you are that man. Even David himself thought, wow, you know, my hands are clean. Nobody knows. But you know who knew? The Lord. You know who also knew? Nathan. Why? Because the Lord told him he had intimacy with the Lord. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, says, uh, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. The Lord knows, the Lord sees. Balaam on his way home, everything's fine, everything's dandy. Oh yeah, I had this nice little encounter with Balak. I didn't, you know, I, I stood for the Lord, I stood for the Lord. And that's past tense. What about present tense? I stand for the Lord. And then what about future tense? Committing in your heart, I will stand for the Lord. These are things that we have to learn from and understand. As an admonition, Paul says to the church in Corinth, these things are written for admonition, the things of old. Remember, God is the same. Yesterday, today, and forevermore, Jesus Christ is the same. I never change, says the Lord, read Malachi. And so here we see Israel in verse 1, in chapter 25, verse 1, Numbers, he says, now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and there... And the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab or whoredom with the women of Moab. Whoa. Remember our study in chapter 23, verse 9? I don't mean to uh, uh, stoke any angst, but there was chashab, the, the Hebrew word chashab, which is to interpenetrate. And there are physical implications and then there are also spiritual implications. And I know it's painful to even fathom, but we can't gloss over these things. I can't tell you how many times, you know, there's a guy on fire for the Lord or a lady on fire for the Lord. And then all of a sudden, you know, she gets a boyfriend, she gets a girlfriend. I don't care how cute he is. I don't care how cute she is. 
She's not a Christian. He's not a Christian. You have to be equally yoked. Do not be unequally yoked. And then all of a sudden, in the course of time, you know, a guy who was on fire for the Lord, loved the Lord, feared the Lord, all of a sudden he's going to go worship Mary because of his girlfriend, who's a Catholic. He's going to go pray to Mary to rescue his dead relatives out of purgatory. That's a, a real-world example of what we see here in the Bible, what we see here in chapter 4, the, the chashab, the interpenetrate, because there's the sexual aspect, you know, penetration. I don't want to get graphic, but there's that sexual aspect, but don't forget the spiritual. With that relationship comes, there are strings attached. You see it all the time. Christians, people love the Lord, fear the Lord. All of a sudden, that you know, good comp- bad company corrupts good character. They hang out with the wrong crowd. They get a relate. They enter into a relationship. That person is an atheist, an agnostic, a Catholic, a Buddhist, a whatever. And then all of a sudden, they get pulled away from the Lord. That's chashab, a real world example of chashab. Physical interpenetration and then the spiritual interpenetration. What is the interpenetration spiritually? Well, just as it is here in verse 2, they invited the people to, to their sacrifices of their gods. It's idolatry. Remember the Lord says, have no other gods before me? And now all of a sudden they're sacrificing. It's here. They're committing idolatry. And in verse 2, the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Wow. Incredible what we see here. Look at this process of what's happening. The, first, the women. The women come from Moab. Very interesting when you think from in a tactical sense. In a tactical sense, Balak think, okay, how am I going to get these people to stumble? How? You know, I'm, not, I, I'm unable to have, have Israel cursed, so what am I going to do? Well, they want to honor their Lord. And so what is the counsel of Balaam? What was he really saying? What was it revealed in the counsel of Balaam? Oh, I'm not going to send my mighty warriors. I'm not going to send my strong chariots, my mighty, you know, warriors. I'm going to send these women. I'm going to send these women and that's how they're going to fall. You see, there's that message that we had in chapter 23 for women, my sisters, young and old, help your men die, your husbands, your sons, kill them spiritually. And they help you die, kill you. Carry your cross, you help them carry their crosses. Much, it's going to be much better when you, when you help your brother, when you help your sister die. Because you're helping them carry their cross, their instrument of their death. In the flesh. And in the spirit they can be alive. It's alive with Christ. Crucified with Christ. And alive with Christ. Look at this procession of what's happening. I should say degression, I should say. Devolving. The women come down. All of a sudden, you know, the guys meet up with them. And then one thing leads to another. And then boom. And then that's the physical side. And then you get the boom, boom. And that's the spiritual side. Chashab, interpenetration. Wow. So incredible what we see happening here. And then now look at verse 3. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor. In the Hebrew, this word is joined self. It's self-inflicted. Self-inflicted. You see? How many times do we see that in the Bible? Remember, the Lord is reactionary. He'll lay out the law and then, you know, give the provisions and then the people do it, but then you have a certain people that don't do it. And then the Lord reacts to those people that don't do it. That's how it is, Old Testament, New Testament. Israel was joined to Baal of Peor. Instead of being joining to the Lord, now they're joined to Baal of Peor. How did it happen? The women. Now I'm not going to you know, point blank say you know, it's the women's fault. It takes two to tango. And, you know, the, the, the women of Moab, that was like the little lure. That was the lure that Balak used. That was the lure, the women. Who took the bait? Who bit? 
the men. You see? The men. Men of today. I love you. 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 But you can't be stupid. If you're stupid, repent. And don't be stupid anymore. A lot of old guys, you know, you're fat. You got the love handles. A lady says hi. And you think, yeah, I still got it. Fool, that's an attack. That's Satan trying to get you. A lot of guys fall for it. Don't be stupid. I love you men so much. I, 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 I pour my heart and soul out for you. But you can't be stupid. We're living in very, very dangerous times. Very dangerous times. And remember we looked at this, the persistence of Balak. The persistence of Balak. And consider the persistence of Satan. The lengths that he'll go through. The patience that he has to get you to fall. To get you to stumble. A lot of men, you know, they have their secret lives. Oh yeah, you know, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Don't be like David in that regard. Don't be like David in that regard. Nobody knows. I'm just going to do my sexual sin over here. Nobody knows. I'm just going to kill this guy over here. And the prophet Nathan, David, you are that man. I love you men so much. Boys, I love you so much. Teenagers, I love you so much. Old old guys, <laughs> I love you so much. But we cannot be stupid. We cannot be fools. We have to be alert. We have to be awake. We have to be on guard. We have to fight. And we have to die. Die to self. Die to the flesh. Die to the carnal nature. Don't walk according to the flesh. Walk according to the spirit. And you're going to make choices that are according to the flesh. And you learn. We learn. We learn that the spirit is better. That's part of maturity. That's how we grow. Now look what happens. The anger of the Lord. In verse 3, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Yes, it's through the counsel of Balaam. But look at all the moving parts here. The council of Balaam, the women come down, and then all of a sudden you get the boom, and then you get the boom, boom, the physical, and then the spiritual. It's not good. The anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. In verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord. Very interesting what we see here. So the people certainly bear responsibility, but he makes mention of the leaders. Leadership. Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord. That's why I hear us say from time to time, I blame the pastors. Look at the state of the church today. Look at Corinth, our study in Corinth. You hear me mention, you know, the defunct pastors, the defunct elders came at a very, very heavy cost. Just the fact that there was a guy who had to be committed to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Just the fact that leaven had to be dealt with. How beautiful it is for the remnant, but there's still that element of sorrow and sadness because there was that division and separation that had to, ha had to happen. Because the Lord's house must be kept clean and in order. And it was the vessel Paul that the Lord used to set things in order. And also those in the household of Chloe, don't forget. Vessels that the Lord uses. But then at the same time, why did it have to get to that point? Where we mentioned the defunct pastors, the defunct elders. They bear responsibility. That's why Brother James says, let not many be teachers. Teachers are held to a stricter account. A lot of times people like the accolades. Oh yeah, I'm a pastor or I'm a teacher. I'm a youth leader. I'm a this. Well, you better be obedient to the word of the Lord. You better not be a man pleaser. You better be a God pleaser. And be obedient to the word, no matter what. People hate you, no big deal, it's part of the gig. People call you, oh, you're so mean, you're so mean, you're so crazy. No big deal, it's part of the gig. People want to kill you, they want you dead. It's part of the gig. 
You see? I say gig, no, no offense to the Lord, because it's a call. But I say it in the frame of reference, using modern-day phraseology. Take all the leaders, he says in verse 4, of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, fully exposed. Not at dusk, not at night. Fully exposed in the light of day. Reminds me of Ephesians 5.13. Everything exposed in the light. That the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. The leaders are responsible. They bear responsibility. Look at all these moving parts. You have the council of Balaam. You have the women as lures. You have the men who have the... Remember, it takes two to tango. The men have a choice to make. The men have a choice to make. The same way you, oh men, oh man. The same way you, oh man, have a choice to make. You see? Carry your cross. Because something happens when you carry your cross, which is your instrument of death. Remember how Paul says, I am crucified with Christ? And I make specific mention. That is Paul who says that I am crucified with Christ. It's for everybody. It is available. To to say the exact same thing is entirely possible. But in order for you, in order for me to say that, we have to be dead. For Paul to say, I am crucified with Christ, he has to be dead or dying. The same thing has to apply to you and me. And with that death also comes the awakening of a new creation. You see? As you and me reckon the old nature dead, the old man dead, the old woman dead. Dead, the old nature. You know, a lot of times people have hard times with their walk with Christ. And you know why that is? It's because of disobedience. And I tell you from experience. The words of our Lord, He's the one who says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, with disobedience, His yoke is not easy and His yoke is not light. But that's with disobedience. And I've been there. I've been disobedient like 20, 25 years ago. Disobedient before the Lord. Yes, I believe the Lord, but I didn't fear the Lord. And I would read the Bible and all of a sudden I'd be like, wow, you know, he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's like, wow, that's, that's not true. That's not true because if it were true, then, you know, everything would be fine and dandy with my life. But you know what wasn't fine and dandy? My heart. I didn't have peace. And the Lord is the one who showed me the error of my ways. He messed me up. Praise be to the Lord. He messed me up. And I repented before him. I obeyed him. And then all of a sudden, I read those passages today. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wow. Praise be to the Lord. Thus fulfills the word of the Lord even more. It rings even, it rings greatly true. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. That, that's a byproduct of obedience. How can you say his yoke is easy and his burden is light if you're not even yoked to him? A lot of times people, they have these problems with sin, the carnal nature. It's like, oh, you know what? Oh, yeah, you know, I have this problem with this. I have this problem with that. But where's the obedience? People call it, oh, you know, you're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. But no, it's, it's, it's obedience. It's obedience. Yes, you're going to sin, but we can sin less and less and less as we move on to maturity. The writer of Hebrews says, some of you guys ought to be teachers by now. But you got to go back to milk. You have to, yeah, someone has to teach you again. Milk, you're on milk. You see? And 
where are the teachers? Where are the pastors? You know how we're in Corinthians in our, in our Sunday study, First Corinthians? It's like, where are the pastors? How many times do you hear me say that all the time? Where, are the, where were the pastors? Where are the elders? Even today, where are the pastors? Where are the elders? What does the Lord say here in verse 4? Take all the leaders of the people and kill them. Hang the offenders before the Lord. Whoa. They can't just wipe their hands of this and be like, well, you know, no big deal. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, and the flock of the Lord is in a state of mess, and they don't know, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. That's why, you know, I blame the pastors. Look at all the turmoil in the church today. You have sheep that are in all kinds of terrible situations. Look at all the moving parts. Yes, you can see the satanic attack. Yes, you can look at, you know, demonic attack. Yes, you can look at the vessels that Satan uses. But then who took the bait? The men, the women, kids, boys, girls, they took the bait. So now the mess begets a greater mess, begets a greater mess. Now homes are a mess. Fellowships are a mess. But where does the pastor teach? Men, this isn't good. Women, this isn't good. Boys, this isn't good. Girls, this isn't good. Old people, this isn't good. Boys, men, women, old people, young people, this is good. Do this. Honor the Lord. But no, you have a lot of man-pleasers. And the man-pleasers, they'll like tickle ears. But the God-pleasers, they're abrasive. Because they teach the Word of God, and the Word of God, it, it, it's abrasive to the flesh because the Lord confronts the carnal nature. He confronts my flesh, He confronts your flesh, because He's transforming you. He's transforming you. You are being made into a new creation. You have moved from Adam into Christ. And now you have to abide in Christ. Don't go back to Egypt. How many times do we see in, in our studies so far in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, where the people say, oh, we had it so good in Egypt. Yeah, we should go back to Egypt. Moses, you're so dumb. Let's go back to Egypt. But the same thing happens in our walk with Christ. People are in their ways in Adam, you know, correlating to our study on Sunday. They transition from Adam to Christ and praise be to the Lord in that our journey in Christ because death must happen in the wilderness. But then even still in the ways of the new covenant, there are people who say, man, we had it so good. When we were in Adam, we had it so good. Whatever form your Egypt is, you see, oh, we had it so good. We could do this. We could party all night. We could do whatever. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, no big deal. But it's a huge deal in the eyes of the Lord. Oh, nobody can see. Nobody knows. The Lord knows. Don't be like David in that regard. Nobody knows. I'm just going to hide this under the rug and no big deal. Yes, yeah, sexual sin, murder, but nobody knows. But the Lord knew. And so look what happens here in verse 5. So Moses said to the judges of Israel. So you have here, you have other leaders, but they have a different function. They're the judges of Israel. And it says here, every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. Peor. So remember, spiritual harlotry, it's not a small thing at all. It's a huge deal. Huge, huge deal. Spiritual harlotry. Huge. Don't do that. Don't believe in Jesus Christ and also... Mary, and also Buddha, and also Hindu Vedas, and also fill in the blank. Your crack, your sex, your drugs, your alcohol. Don't do that. Jesus Christ is preeminent. Him and Him alone. Your love relationship with Him as a bride of Christ. Very forward-looking because the marriage hasn't happened yet. The marriage is a future event. You see? 
that marriage is a future event. We are virgins today. But be a wise virgin. Don't be a foolish virgin. And so look what happens here in verse 6. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his, to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of, of Israel. Now, Midianites were also in Moab. So when you look at uh, the Midianites in the northeast corner of like uh, Moab, you know, there was some uh, intermixing there, Moabites. And so you have that because like uh, uh, what you see in verse one, uh, the women of Moab, it's like, well, wait a second. What are the Midianites doing here? Well, when you look at the movement of the peoples, you see Midianite. There was some blending in with the with Moab. And so what we see here is uh, in, in verse six uh, says, and indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel. Now, what we see is Israel is, there's harlotry in Israel as what, you know, in verse one, the people of Israel, the people began to commit harlotry with the women or whoredom is how it translates with the women of Moab. But then look at this remnant here. Look at this remnant here in verse six, who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. These are common attributes of any remnant throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, a lot of weeping. Just like Jeremiah, just like Jeremiah, a, a, a remnant of Judah. They called him the weeping prophet, the lonely prophet, the weeping prophet, they called him. There's a lot of weeping and sorrow with the remnant. Do you know why? Because death and destruction is going to be happening all around you. People falling, people entering into apostasy. People reaping what they have sown. People getting their sexually transmitted diseases. You love them, you've been teaching them, you've been pouring into them, but they're going to get their gonorrhea, they're going to get AIDS, they're going to get syphilis, they're going to wither away and die. They're going to enter apostasy and believe certain things. They're going it, to... It's part of the sorrow. You're going to have a Christian that you love so much, you love so much, you pour into him, you pour into her. All of a sudden, he's going to get a girlfriend, she's going to get a boyfriend, or vice versa, same sex. And they're going to introduce all kinds. There's going to be the chashab, uh, the interpenetration physically and then spiritually. What is it that this other person is introducing? They're going to start worshiping the Marys. They're going to start worshiping the, the Baals. They're going to start worshiping the Moleks. They're going to start worshiping Buddha. And it's going to break your heart. You're going to weep like crazy. You're going to weep. And you're going to suffer long. Just like our Lord, the heart of our Lord. The long-suffering of our Lord. Old Testament and New Testament. The long-suffering of our Lord. But look at this remnant. They're weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, when Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest. So what do we see here in Phineas? There's a Phineas of Eli, the son of Eli. That's not a good Phineas. This Phineas is beautiful. I'm in love with this Phineas. A grandbaby, the grandson of Aaron. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest. How beautiful is this for Phineas? Look at, look at this lineage of Phineas. He has a, an example through his dad, Eleazar, an example through his grandfather, Aaron. Now, Aaron's already dead, but picture Aaron holding a little baby. Aaron, the high priest, holding his little grandbaby, praying for him, knowing that he's Kohanim, knowing that the Lord desires to use him, also knowing that his own sons were killed of the Lord because they offered strange fire. He knows the wages. He knows the cost. And Gram Grandpa Aaron praying for his grandson. Holding him, praying for his grandson. That's like a double whammy. You know, you have the example in dad, the example in grandpa. Just like you see with Timothy, with Lois and Eunice. Grandma, grandpa, or grandma, grandma, or mom and grandma. <laughs> Mom and Grandma, Lois and Eunice, Timothy. You see? 
given over to Paul, you know, and then Paul, wow, just and then Timothy becomes a pastor. How beautiful is that? Now, you might come from a broken home. I completely understand that. You know, in these days that we live in, broken homes are very common and they're becoming more commonplace. You might come from a broken home and be like, man, you know what? I never had a godly dad. I never had a godly mom. I never had godly grandparents. I never had that. Let it start with you, my friend. Let it start with you. You become the godly dad, the godly mom, the godly grandma, the godly grandpa. Let You become the godly great-grandpa, great-grandma. And pour into the generations behind you. You become the Aaron. And you're going to die. It is appointed for men to die once. And then judgment. You're going to die. But what is it that you're... What is the legacy that you're leaving behind? Is it your legacy? Or is it the legacy of Jesus Christ? You see? The next generation of righteousness. You see Phineas here. The son of Eleazar, his dad. The son of Aaron, the priest. Grandpa, Grandpa Aaron. He saw it. Phineas saw it. I don't know how old Phineas is. He might have been like a teenager. Might have been a young adult. Might have been, I don't know. But I think this is beautiful. So he sees what's happening. He sees it. He says, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. It translates as a spear. So he was among this, the, the weeping, this remnant. And then he sees what's happening. He gets up and look what happens here in verse 8. And he went after the man. He translates as pursue and chase the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her body. Whoa. He killed him. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. Now there's a lot of people today that say, well, that's too violent. That's so violent. How could you say that's a good thing? Well, several things. Look at Phineas's influence. You have his dad as high priest. You have his grandfather who was also high priest, but now he's dead. And now he's, he's standing for the Lord. Look at this spiritual pedigree. Just like Paul. Look at, look, look at Timothy and Titus. Look at their pedigree. You see? It's so beautiful. And I don't mean pedigree like a... In a, in a, to, to boast or like a form of pride. I don't, I don't mean it like that. I mean pedigree of righteousness. How Paul pours himself out and just the fact that he says of Timothy, there's no one as like-minded who cares for your soul, who sincerely cares for your soul. That's the pedigree I'm talking about. It's a pedigree of righteousness. You see? Oh, that's too violent. That's too violent. Phineas, he killed these guys. But you know what happens among people today, Christians? We start to get too lax in our walk with Christ. We make provisions for sin. We make provisions for the carnal nature. Don't do that. Don't be like Saul when the Lord gave the command to kill the Amalekites. Don't be like Saul where he kept the king alive. Be like Samuel who slaughtered the Amalekite king. And that's what you need to do inside of your heart. The Amalekites as a type of sin. Kill it. Slaughter sin in your heart. Slaughter sin in your mind. Slaughter it all. Don't leave a little, you know, oh, this guy I'm going to keep alive because that's for me. I like that. This king, I'm going to keep him alive because I like that. No, slaughter it all. The Amalekites is a type of sin. Don't be like Saul. Be like Samuel. So what do we see here? In verse 9, And those who died in the plague were 24,000. So the plague was stopped. Praise be to the Lord. The plague was stopped, but it still came at a heavy cost. A heavy, heavy, heavy cost. Just like we see in Corinth. Yes, the Lord cleaned the house, but it came at a very, very heavy cost. And praise the Lord that the Lord cleaned the house. But still, look at the cost. As a result of defunct pastors and defunct elders. Just as the Lord says here in verse 4. Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord. You see? Who was the vessel that was used 
Who was the vessel? Phineas. But look at who poured into Phineas. Eleazar and, and, and Grandpa Aaron. You see? Surely there were other influences. I think this comes as a harsh warning to pastors. A harsh, harsh warning to pastors and elders. Because if you want to be a defunct pastor and a defunct elder and be a man-pleaser instead of a God-pleaser, it comes at a very, very heavy cost for you and those who follow you. For you and those who hear you. Have you... I I don't know if you... I was going to say, have you ever talked to somebody? I've talked to somebody. I've talked to somebody before who was caught in egregious sin. Egregious, egregious sin. And we boil it all down. And we look at Scripture. And for this individual to say, I never knew that before. How long have you been a Christian, brother? Ten plus years. And you've never been taught this? No, I've never heard it explained like that before. Where do you go to church, brother? I go over here. They name churches. Pastors whom I know who have told me, I don't like to teach, you know, judgmental books. I don't teach Revelation. I don't teach some of the prophets. I don't teach that. It's too judgmental. I want people to feel good about themselves. So now you have a sheep caught in egregious sin. And yes, the sin is bad. Yes, the Lord can restore, but it's going to come at a heavy cost. A heavy, heavy cost. And a lot of times there's family included. It comes at a heavy cost for family. But for such a sheep to say, I never knew. Do you know what's going to happen to that so-called shepherd? Look at verse 4. What's written here? Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord. You see? Very interesting what we see here. What we see happening here. It's wild. You know, there's a a burden of responsibility on the teachers. Look at the defunct pastors. The defunct elders of Corinth. Look at the defunctness. Look at the defunctness that we see in the church today. Look at the defunctness of what we see even in Aaron at the, at the golden calf. I'll explain what I mean. You say, wow, wow, you're, you're speaking such, so beautifully of Aaron. Yes, but Aaron has a history too. Look at verse... In chapter 32, Exodus, Exodus 32... Exodus 32. Exodus 32, verse 19. This is Moses when he comes down the mountain with uh, Joshua. He says here in verse 19, So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf with which they had made, burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and, to powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you, you, Aaron, you, have brought so great a sin upon them. You see? The leadership is not without excuse and not without a bearing of responsibility. You see? In verse 25, Moses saw the people were unrestrained for Aaron had not restrained them. You see? Leaders, leaders bear responsibility. Teach. If you're called to teach, teach. If you're called to pastor, pastor. Shepherd. 
God's lamb, God's sheep, their diet is his word. Not jokes. Not the New York Times bestseller. Not study Bibles written by men who tell you to take the mark of the beast. God's flock needs a steady diet of God's word or else they'll wither away and die. If the Lord called you to pastor. Very incredible times that we live in. Now, I'm, I'm not picking on Aaron because he's a beautiful man, but that's the aftermath of repentance. The aftermath of repentance. You know, this egregious sin that he brought upon the people. Don't forget his sin himself. And yet he repented. And he himself got right with the Lord. And he became high priest. Let's go back to Numbers 25. Numbers 25 and beautiful, beautiful Phineas. In verse 9, 25, verse 9, the book of Numbers, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal. Notice this, this union of God and Phinehas, the same zeal. And that's what happens with God's messengers, with God's people, with God's vessels. That's what happens. You're going to learn in the Old Testament and New Testament but you're going to learn about the character deeper and deeper and deeper, the character of our Lord. And with God's vessels, you're going to see attributes of God's character in his vessels. You're going to see, you know, gifts of the Spirit, just as we studied in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. No abuse of those gifts, but you're going to see gifts. And you're going to see attributes of God's character inside of his vessels. Why? Because it's his legacy. Established through the ages and still being established. That's what we see here with Phineas. And so he says here, because he was zealous with my zeal among them, and then uh, uh, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Now today, a people today would say, oh yeah, Phineas is so mean. Look, he, he's too violent. Look, he killed these people. But no, he's a vessel of the Lord. And this union, this spiritual union, just as we hear Paul say, the admonition to the churches, you know, this be of the same mind, the same spirit. Yes, church unity is a beautiful thing, but church unity in sound doctrine People say church unity and they want to be one with the Episcopals, one with the Lutherans, one with the Methodists. And you look at the history of the Lutherans, the history of the Methodists, history of the Episcopals, and it's not entirely a bad thing. In some most cases, it's like, wow, this is beautiful. But what happened through the ages? Apostasy. They themselves became apostate. The modern-day Lutheran church, apostate. The modern-day Methodist church, apostate. The modern-day Episcopal church, apostate. You see, yes, the people will bear an element of that apostasy. But the teachers surely will, surely will. Just as Aaron brought the, this sin upon the congregation of Israel. Very interesting what we see happening, what we see unfolding here. Don't forget, Brother James is the one who says, let not many be teachers. Let not many be teachers. In verse 12, Therefore say, Behold, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. Shalom, shalom is how it translates in the Hebrew. Shalom, shalom. It's peace from God and it's peace with God. Peace with God is impossible without obedience. People, people want the peace of the Lord. People want it. Understandably, rightfully so. I get it. It's, not, it's a beautiful thing to desire peace with the Lord. But peace with the Lord is a byproduct of obedience unto the Lord. Understand. A house divided cannot stand. A kingdom divided cannot stand. A heart divided cannot stand. 
No, Jesus Christ needs to be preeminent in your life, in my life. We're in the same boat. Here you have Phineas, blessed of the Lord, this covenant of peace, this covenant of shalom, shalom. And verse 13, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Atonement, intercession as a covering. He made atonement for the children of Israel. Now, you see, yes, there's this violent aspect of what Phineas did. I mean, he straight up killed them. He straight up killed the, uh, the, uh, the two, the man and the woman. He killed them too. One javelin, one spear. He killed them. What is it that you and I have to do inside of our hearts with sin, with the carnal nature? Do we not have to kill the carnal nature as we carry our cross? Yes, the Lord does... You know, the Lord rescued Egypt, rescued Israel out of Egypt, fought the Egyptians. But don't forget, in the course of time, he says, okay, Israel, now you fight the Canaanites. You and me coming out of Egypt, the proverbial Egypt. Yes, he does that. But don't forget that he also gives us a sword, which is his word. Don't forget. Now look what happens here in verse 14. Now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who, who the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Zalu, a leader of a father's house uh, among the Simeonites. So uh, it, it, here you see in uh, verse 15, and the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Kosbi, the daughter of Zur. He was, he was head of the people of a father... Uh, he was head of the people of a father's house in Midian. Now, he, father, he was like chief. So like a chief people, people with stature. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, harass the Midianites and attack them or besiege the Midianites and strike and attack them. Now you see Israel on offense. Do you remember our study in the book of Acts? How we always make mention how beautiful a defensive posture is. But at what point will we as Christians, we as believers go on offense it's defense and offense together here you see Israel a command of the Lord go on offense attack in verse 18 for they harassed you with their schemes their wiles their tricks by which they seduced you. Now this word in the Hebrew, seduce, is to deceive, to defraud, and seduce. But it's the exact same phraseology that we see in the Greek for seduction. Deceive, defraud, and seduce. By which they seduced you in the matter of Peor, in the matter of Kosbi. Now, the seduction that happened, it was very, very effective. Very, very effective. 24,000 were killed. There was the plague of the Lord. And then there was the in intercession of Phineas. The intercession of Phineas. You see? And don't forget, observe Israel for a moment. They're seduced. And, you know, I say seduced, but I mean, there's a lot packaged into that. Through the counsel of Balaam, all of a sudden, the women come out of the woodworks, enter the camp of Israel, and Israel is defiled by their choices. The choices of the men. And then look what happened. The chashab interpenetrate physically and then spiritually. Now Israel is worshiping the Baals. Israel is worshiped, bowing down, sacrificing to, to Baal, bowing down to Baal, and joining himself to Baal. Wow. That's what's happening. And yes, there was a plague of the Lord, but then you have the intercession of beautiful, beautiful Phineas. 
you see? Of a good stock too. His dad Eleazar and his grandpa Aaron. And don't forget there's this remnant. And the remnant that remains, the Lord says, go fight. Go fight. Yes, there was the defensive posture, but go on offense now. Go fight. Because they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of pure, in the matter of Kosbi, the daughter of a leader of, the, of, of Midian, their sister who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. Meanwhile, what do we see? I mean, we don't see it, but meanwhile, what's happening? Remember, Baal, Balaam in chapter 24, verse 25. So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. So meanwhile, he's on his way home. All is well. All is fine. Walking on his donkey. You see? On his way. Everything's fine. But behind him, there's a trail of destruction. A trail of destruction. His counsel. Look at the great fall that it caused his counsel. And God sees it all. God sees it all. He knows it all. He sees it all. In this world and even in this church. Full of the Zimris. Full of the Kosbis. Full of the Balaams. Where harlotry abounds where the chashab abounds, the interpenetration physically and spiritually, it abounds. Yes, it abounds. But that's Corinth. That's the world. It's entered the church. And in this environment around us, be like Phineas. Be like a Phineas. You don't have a javelin. But you have a sword given to us by our Lord given to you by the Lord. And it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Maybe you've been on a defensive posture. Defense, defense, defense. That's the shield. The defensive posture uses one of many tools, which is the shield. The offensive posture uses the sword. There's defense with the sword. But the sword in your hand, the sword that you wield, in obedience to the Lord, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the Word of God. I'm not talking physically. Everything, this is entirely spiritual. Be like Phineas, I mean, not physically where you go out and kill somebody. I'm talking spiritually. Go on the attack. But you know, that's why Paul says, don't choose a novice. Because for a person to go on the attack, they need to be trained up. They need to be equipped. A steady diet of the Word of God. And that's what we do. We study the Word of God. We read the Word of God. We study the Word of God. We read the Old Testament, New Testament, and the Lord is the one who shows us. We learn examples from the Old Testament, examples of disobedience, examples of obedience. Old Testament, New Testament, read these examples for our admonition, for our comfort as we have a deeper and deeper and deeper love relationship with the Lord. And it all stems from obedience. People are going to make fun of you. Oh, you're such a legalist. You're going too far with this Jesus business. You're going too far with it. Not really. Not really because, you know, if we're going to go too far with Jesus, we're going to die physically. But beautiful in the eyes of the Lord is the death of the saints. That's what he says. People make excuses for their own disobedience. Oh, you're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. Show me. Show me how. Do you remember in our study in Leviticus how we made mention of, you know, I gave you a challenge. And the challenge was to start thinking of your lives, every aspect, every fiber of your being, start every, your mind, your heart, your body, your feet, your works of your hands, the steps of your feet. Start thinking of it as an aroma to the Lord. What is the aroma that you want to present before the Lord? Stench or a sweet aroma? 
And when you start thinking about your life as a sweet, as an aroma, number one, it's going to change your behavior. Because it puts into question your own heart. What is it that you want to present to the Lord? Stench or beauty? Sweet smelling aroma. Remember Paul when he says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering? He's practically dying. And he says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. But when you start thinking of your life that way, as an aroma to the Lord, you choose, do you want it to be sweet or do you want it to be a stench? I say that to challenge you, but it will help you. I don't say it as a challenge, like, you know, see if you can do this. No, I say it as a challenge because it will help you. It will help you in your transformation. In Jesus Christ, you know, the chief cornerstone and the Holy Spirit building brick by brick by brick by brick. In your heart, His temple. And because you've reckoned the old man dead, the old woman dead, somebody's going to come to of your old nature. Say, hey, let's go do crack. Hey, let's go do the sex. Let's go do the drugs. Let's go do the alcohol. No way. No way. Because you're a sweet aroma. You want everything you do to be a sweet aroma to the Lord. I don't want to be that stench. I don't want to present that stench to the Lord. I love him. I fear him. I don't want you to do the crack. You know, you come out and hang out with me. We're going to do Bible study. Oh, let's go to the strip club. Let's go to the strip club. No, I don't want to be a stench. You see? And then when you are obedient to the word of the Lord and you yield to the word of the Lord, you yield to the spirit of the Lord. You know what happens? You're going to read passages of blessings of obedience and they're going to resonate true in your life. You're going to read passages like, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you're going to be like, wow, Lord, you know what? It wasn't easy and it wasn't light before, but that, was, that wasn't because you were a liar. Satan wanted me to believe that you were a liar because I didn't have peace. I didn't have shalom, shalom. Your yoke wasn't easy. But you know what, Lord? I was in disobedience. I was in sin. But praise be to you, Lord, because you saved me, you rescued me. And here we are, Lord. I want my life to be a sweet aroma unto you. And yes, Lord, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. You read passages and it just makes these pages jump off, make these words jump off the pages and into your heart. And it just resonates even more true. People say, oh, you're such a legalist. Show me how, brother, how, sister. You don't want to go do crack with me. <laughs> you call that legalism. You don't want to go to the strip club with me anymore. That's legalism. You get mad at me when I get drunk. That's legalism. And plus, you know, it wasn't even mad at you. I just told you, don't do that. But no, your feelers were hurt. Ultra sensitive generation that we live in in these last days. But what does the Lord say? Blessed is he who is not uh, offended because of me. That's what the Lord says. But what's another sign of the last days? Everybody's going to be offended. That's what, read Matthew 24. It's one of the signs of the times. Everybody's going to be offended. What do we see in the world today? Everybody's offended. You know, like, why am I a legalist? You don't want to go to the strip club with me. I'm offended. What? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's backwards. You see? It's like, I'm offending you because I don't want to do that. And how can I do that when the Bible says this? It's like, well, you call it legalism, but it's just obedience. And fill in the blank. People make excuses for their sex, their drugs, their alcohol, their whatever, their occult stuff, their white Ouija boards. They make excuses. Don't be that way. Know your life. Let our lives, the people of the way, let our lives be a sweet aroma unto the Lord. And so I present you with that challenge yet again. Every essence of your being, every fiber of your being, down to the marrow, the depths of your heart, consider as a, an aroma 
And then you make a choice. Do you want that to be a stench before the Lord? Or do you want that to be a beautiful, sweet aroma? The choice is yours. The choice is mine. You see? Let us be a people of the same mind, the same spirit, and that of Christ. Balaam, we're not done with Balaam. Because we're going to see what happens with Balaam in the course of time. Not a pretty picture for Balaam. An Old Testament example of a short-term believer. Yes, a short-term believer. Now, in closing, I was going to close there, but since I mentioned this, let's turn to Luke 8. I know I say this a lot, but I'm not going to stop. Luke chapter 8, verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no roots, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Prophetically speaking, there will be a great falling away. It's the apostasy, the church that enters apostasy. It's going to happen. Those are believers who are like Balaam, the short-term believer. Don't be that way. No, our lives are a sweet aroma unto the Lord. If you so choose. But it's that which I pray. That our lives, mine and yours, are a sweet aroma unto the Lord. God bless you beautiful people of the way. I love you.